The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. On May 1st, 2010, after a few years of running outside, I decided to run my very first 5K. I went to... um, Went to Illinois, where this race was. You finished in the University of Illinois Stadium, which was pretty cool. And at the beginning of the race, the gun went off, and everyone, everyone started running. Everyone started racing. And I was pleased with the way that I started my race. I was, um, I was at the pace that I thought I needed to be at. Um, and then something happened, and I may have shared this before. Uh, I, I only have one life, though, so that's the way that works. Um, at about the 1.5 mile marker, um, something hit me. A 5K isn't three miles. A 5K is actually 3.1 miles. And that doesn't sound like it's very much. But everything that I was doing in my pacing and in my training was about three miles. I had in my mind, if I just ran three eight-minute miles, I would come in at 24 minutes, and that was kind of my goal for my very first time. And the issue was, up until that mile and a half point, I had not been running, I had been running an eight-minute mile pace, no faster, um, but right at an eight-minute mile pace. So of course, I had to, I had to speed up, and I don't have the graph today, but I looked at it again this morning, and right at that 1.5, 1.6 mile point, like there's a, there's a noticeable difference in my pace uh, for the rest of that race. And I'm saying that because, because we can start a race really well. As we, think about, as we think about our faith, it's really easy for us to, to start well, to get caught up in, in the things that we do early on in our Christianity, make commitments to read and study the Bible and pray. It can also be pretty easy to maintain that pace as, as we go through life. But as we've talked about before, I know it's true for me and I think it's true for you. The longer you are alive, it seems like the more difficult life gets. There are more things that happen as you're around other people and you build relationships with people. Like life just gets harder. And it's not really about, or it's not only about the way we start. It's not only about the way that we run the race that's been marked out for us in life, but it's the way that we finish. And our Christian walk is is very similar to that. God has a plan and purpose for us, and he wants us to begin a relationship with him, and that's going to be developed over time. And the marker uh, of the winner is, is the person who endures to the end, is the person who lasts to the end. So the thing that we're going to talk about is today is the crown of victory is given at the end of the race to those who run faithfully, to those who finish well. So a question that we have to ask ourselves is, what, what does it mean to finish well? And we're going to look at four different texts today. The easiest way for you to do that is in version. You can follow along in the events on there. Uh, but the first text that we're going to look at is one that we've kind of danced around for the past several weeks. It's found in 1 Corinthians 9. If you have one of the Bibles in front of you, that's on page 715. 
But it's 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24, and it's really basic, really simple, and it just says this. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. As we talked about this last week in staff meeting, we talked about this particular verse, some things that we can learn. Um, There's a purpose in our running. This race that Paul is talking about, there's a purpose for it. There's an intent for it. And the purpose for running this race, the race that we've been talking about, is running the race that matters, our own personal discipleship and and helping others become uh, disciples of Jesus Christ. That's the reason, that's the purpose, and we want to gain that prize. We want to achieve that. At the end of our lives, we want to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Not just at the beginning, not just in the middle, but we want to last until the end. We want to receive this prize. We're not running for no reason. And we'll talk a little bit more about this in a second, but there's only one prize that matters that we run for that Paul is talking about, and it's the crown of righteousness. And we're going to talk more about that when we get to 2 Timothy 4, 6 to 8. What, what is that crown of righteousness? What is the thing that we are trying to gain? The next couple verses I want to talk about are in Philippians 2. And that's on page 735 in your Bibles in front. So Philippians 2, 14 to 16. Do everything without complaining and arguing. We had some conversation at our house last night about this particular text. It doesn't say do a lot of things without arguing and complaining. It doesn't say do most things without arguing and complaining. It doesn't say do the things that you want to do without arguing and complaining. Paul says Do everything without arguing and complaining, complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I may be proud that I did not run the race in vain, that my work was not useless. So what Paul is is telling us here, what God through Paul is telling us is is how we are to live our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. This is what it looks like for us to start the race, to run his race, the race that he has set out for us, and this is what it looks like for us to finish well. And it starts with not complaining and not arguing. We must be clean and innocent and blameless and pure. We need to hold firmly. Last week we talked about Hebrews chapter 12, about keeping our eyes firmly placed on Jesus. Some texts say the author and perfecter of our faith. We need to focus our eyes on Jesus. One of the things I love about this particular set of texts is it tells us that the reward is at the end of the race. I know that's kind of an obvious statement. The reward's not at the beginning 
of the race. The reward's not, they don't pull the trigger on the starting gun and you, and you step a foot and then they give you a prize. They don't give you a reward for simply taking a step across the starting line. You don't get halfway through the race and receive a prize. There was no one at the 1.55 mile point of that race that day that was handing out prizes for running halfway through the race. The thing that we need to grasp and the thing that we need to understand as Christians is the reward is at the end of the race, but only if we hold firmly. Only if we endure to the end will we receive this prize. One of the things I like about this as well, and we talked a little bit about this a couple weeks ago from the Galatians text, Paul's concern is, am I running the race that matters? Am I pursuing Christ? Am I pursuing discipleship? I think this is a healthy marker of someone who is learning and growing in their relationship with Jesus to be self-reflective, to ask myself, am I running this race in a way, am I living this life in a way that is honoring and glorifying to God? Can I look back on the last six days, six weeks, six months, six years? For some of you, it's six decades can I look back on my life and can I see change? Like, am I running this well? And we don't want to devolve into unnecessary guilt or shame because we all have life to go through. We're going to have peaks and valleys. It's just the normal part of life. But we want to be self-reflective. When I run in the morning, I'm constantly looking at the pace on my watch. And I'm doing the calculation in my brain. And honestly, the calculation is this. When is this going to be over? Seriously. Like that is, that's the, that's the calculation I'm making. When is this going to be over? When am I going to be done? How am I proceeding in my race? Paul said this, if you, we talked about this, this was Galatians 2.2. 2. I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement for I was, for fear that my, all my efforts had been wasted and I was running the race for nothing. So one of the keys in finishing this race of discipleship well is to be self-reflective, is to ask ourselves, how, how am I doing? Hopefully you'll be in an accountability relationship with someone else in your life that you can ask that question. Because we have a tendency to exaggerate how well we're doing in the race. And what we need are other people to come alongside of us. We need to give them permission to tell us how we're running our race. I want you to flip to Galatians 6, verse 9. That's on page 730 in those Bibles. It says this. So let's not get tired of doing what's right. 
At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. One of the things that we need to understand is when Paul wrote this letter to the church at Galatia, he was talking about, um, he was condemning them for the ways that they had exchanged the gospel of Jesus Christ and instead were practicing the gospel of good works. So they had heard about the gospel of Jesus. They had heard that Jesus died for their sins was resurrected into new life. They had accepted that. And in, the, and in the 20 or 30 years in the meantime, they had exchanged that gospel of someone dying for me and replaced it with a gospel of, I just need to live a good life. In fact, that good life centered around following the Jewish laws, particularly for men, the law of circumcision. And they had exchanged these two Gospels. Paul was confronting them on this Gospel. I was talking about this last night with Dave Robinson. Paul's letter to the church at Galatia is probably his most negative letter that he writes. We've talked before that Paul begins his letters with, with encouragement, reminding them of who Jesus was, about what Jesus had done for them, and usually complimenting them for something in their behavior of what they were doing well. Paul does none of that in the letter to Galatians. He completely skips the pleasantries and basically says, what is wrong with you people? Why have you exchanged these gospels? Paul also wrote this letter because the church in Galatia was filled with people who were fighting and arguing. They were causing division among themselves. So he tells them, he says, don't grow tired of doing what is good. Don't grow tired of doing what is good. There's one gospel that we preach. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what you're doing church in Galatia is you feel like it's the end of your race and you are starting to get tired. You are starting to grow weary. You are starting to be exhausted. You are starting to forget the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what I need you to do, church in Galatia, is not grow tired of doing what's right. Come back to this gospel. One of the things that we've noticed here, we've talked about this with, with team leaders and with our pastors and with our elders. The, the name that we have called it is commitment drift. What we've noticed over the past several years is, is as a church, we've, we've started things and then kind of as time goes on, what we've noticed is there's less and less and less and less commitment over time. One of the things that I think about is the food pack that we did a few years ago. The very first one started off, we had a lot of people, we had a lot of interest, had a lot of excitement. When we've done the food pack, part of the, part of the deal that comes along with the food pack is our body pays for the meal. So we pack them, we pay for them. The first year, food pack went great. We had lots of turnout. 
The, the, the funds were easy to raise. You, you really gave quickly. The second year, it was 2020, so it was 2020. A little, a little less. But then the third year when we did it, it was, it was really challenging. We had way less people than what we had hoped for. And raising the funds for that was really challenging. It was a little bit of, little bit of commitment and drift. And it, and it caused us to ask some questions about, should we continue to do this? What, what, what do maybe uh, people in our body aren't telling us things while well, they're telling us by not showing up? We're going to talk about this in probably next year when we hit 1 Corinthians part 2. There are ways to talk about things that are happening without, and not just not showing up isn't one of them. There's this commitment drift. Another way that we've kind of noticed some, some commitment drift is with our Embrace Grace ministry. And not so much on the Wednesday night piece that we have, but in thinking about our, our baby shower in terms of getting items, in terms of participation in our baby shower. It's kind of waned as time has gone on. And I think one of the things that, that we need to be challenged by as, as we're reading this is, is to remember that it's, it's, while it's written to them, it's written for us. So, so there is some value and some import for what we're reading in this. And I think our, 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 cultural, our cultural age is commitment and drift. I think it can be really easy to start off things strong and then just as time goes on, we, we kind of lose interest, we lose focus. And, and what Paul is, is telling the church in Galatia, and I think what God is telling us through Paul to the church at Galatia, that we need to not grow weary in doing good. We need to be faithful in doing good. We need to rise to that challenge. I also think about our Wednesday night peace. What's most amazing to me as I think about Wednesdays at Westway is prior to COVID, we had a student ministry. We had a children's ministry. When, when that kind of peace passed, our student ministry started very quickly back up again. We had a hard time resetting our children's ministry for lots and lots and lots and lots of reasons. Until last year in March, where we just kind of decided, okay, we're going we're gonna to do this. We're going to start this piece. And what was really awesome to watch that take place was to, was to see our, the people who came, children and students, not just Westway kids, not just Westway students, not just Westway children, but, but they began to invite their friends from the community. And we very quickly um, had 75 people here on a Wednesday night. Those, those last couple weeks, I'm talking a year, last year, last March, last April, last May when we just started this thing. So we went from nothing really to 75 people. And it was, it was really kind of amazing. So now what we've done, we've, we've added small groups on Wednesday nights. We've encouraged people to come to small groups on Wednesday nights and, and participate and really try to make some connections. And our average last year was 125. And it's not about numbers. 
But the thing that's amazing to me is we, we didn't have a program and then we did and it was 125 people. And most of those people, I should say many, especially on the children and student side are people who aren't connected to our church. We're not going to see them here on a Sunday morning. And, and we might want to see them here on a Sunday morning. I would certainly love to see them here on a Sunday morning, but I'm far more interested in them knowing who Jesus is and making and developing relationships with people who, who are genuinely interested in them and care for them. And they might make that jump to Sunday. They might not. But many of these kids are hearing for the very first time that Jesus loves them. That's what, they're, that's what they're hearing, that Jesus loves them. And whether it's Wednesday nights or whether it's Embrace Grace, those ministries are very specifically targeted to people who may not have a relationship with Christ. And one of the things that, that I know is that ministry to people who, who don't have a relationship with Jesus, who don't have any understanding of what a relationship with Jesus, that, that's really hard. It looks dramatically different than talking to people who have a foundation and talking to people who have a context for who Jesus is. It's going to require more of us. Ministry to people who don't know who Jesus is requires more of us than ministry to people who do know who Jesus is. And what I'm, what I'm saying in all of the midst of this is don't grow weary in doing good. This is, this is not the time for, for us to fall into this commitment drift that our culture says is a value just because it's hard, just because it's challenging. It is hard. It is challenging. And quite frankly, it's, it's what we're called to. It's, it's for this reason I, I love in, in, this, in this text, he says, at just the right time. You know when just the right time is? It's now. This is the right time. Each and every one of us has been placed here where we are, when we are, for a reason. It's not an accident. It's not a happenstance. See, God has put a specific set of people in a specific place and in a specific time for a specific purpose. And that specific purpose is to make disciples. This is the life that we are called into, and it's going to be hard, it's going to be challenging. In the very next verse, in verse 10, Paul writes this. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. See, whenever we have the opportunity, whenever we have the opportunity, when we're tired, when we don't feel like it, when it presses against our preferences, when it presses against our wants, our wishes, and our desires, whenever we have the opportunity, we are to do good to everyone. For Christians, there's no such thing as commitment drift. 
what God is inviting us into, what God is asking us into, is to this purpose to make disciples. And we all need to be in, we all need to be engaged. Here's the last couple of verses I want to read to you today. It's 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 to 8, and that's on 743 in that Bible in front of you. 2 Timothy 4, 6 to 8. I want you to notice this change in Paul's demeanor in these verses. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Something you need to know is this is, this is written at the end of Paul's life. This is written at the end of his life. He's not saying these things because he's tired. Paul is saying the things that he's saying here because he's done. His race is over. See, previously when we've talked about Paul, Paul's mindset has been, am I running the race right? Am I running the race right? Am I running the race right? I don't want to run in vain. I don't want to do this for no purpose. I don't, want to, I don't want to miss out on something. I want to make sure I'm doing exactly what God calls me to. And here at the end of Paul's life, his attitude is this. I did it. I'm done. I can now look back on my life and see that I ran the race well. I'm done. And the only thing that's left for him as he describes it is to eagerly look forward to the day of the return of Christ. It's that very last verse. To eagerly look forward to the day of the return of Christ. That's all Paul has left. He's exhausted himself out. He's worn out. He's run the race. But here's the thing. See, Paul knows the clock is still ticking. There are a few more steps that Paul has to take. Because he's, he's not dead yet. That, that's what Paul is saying here. There are a few more steps. He doesn't know when, but he knows it's close. And if we were to read through the rest of this letter of Paul to Timothy, you would read something like, Timothy, when you come, will you, will you bring, my, bring me my favorite coat? I just love that personal touch. Bring me my favorite coat. I'm cold, and that's the one that keeps me warm. Paul says, when you guys come, Timothy, when you come, I want you to bring me my papers. I want you to bring me my parchment. See, this is a man who knows he's done. But the clock is still ticking. He has a little bit of time left. I'm done, but I'm not done. So I was thinking about that concept of done, but not done. I thought of another race. And it's the Don Child's five-mile race. 
I put the phrase five mile in quotations because here's something I've learned about the Don Child's five mile race. It's actually 5.3 miles. And I always forget that until like the first half of that is running from downtown gearing all the way up to, up to the monument, to the gate at the monument. So that first half, it's uphill the whole way. Then you make the little turnaround and you start running down and all you can think about is five miles, five miles, looking at my watch, five miles, five miles, oh yeah, it's 5.3. And point one is not, let me tell you, point three is not point one. Point one is like three quarters of a city block. Point three, that's almost three city blocks. See, this is what it means to be done but not be done. Each and every one of us is going to hit a point in our lives where we are done. And each and every one of us will have moments in that last time. And it, it, might, be, it might be days it might be weeks, it might be months, it might be years for some of us. Where there will be so many opportunities for us to stop running the race. To look back on our lives and, you know what? I'm done. I did my part. I played my role. I served. I told people about Jesus I'm done. And what Paul is telling Timothy here is there's a way to be done but not done. And the way to finish the race is to eagerly look forward to the day of Christ's return. And we have some questions as to what that looks like. What does it look like for me to eagerly look forward to the day of Christ's return? This has been one of those themes as I've, as I've looked back on certainly the last three years. Almost every message series that we end up talking about talks about the way that as Christians, we have a way that we're supposed to live. We have a way that God has called us to live. But it's not just that. We have a way that God has empowered us to live. Because as Christians, we have the presence of the Holy Spirit inside of us. So we're not running this race by ourselves. We're running with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we have things to do. So what does it look forward to eagerly look forward? What does it look like to eagerly look forward to this day? In John 13, 17, he says this to his disciples. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. I think the thing that, that I need to hear, because I think about, as I think about what my next phase of my life looks like, I kind of irritated my mom a few months ago on Facebook. I talked about actuarial tables. Like statistically, I don't have a lot of time. There are less years ahead of me than there are behind me. That's just statistics. 
So what I'm starting to think about in my life is what does it look like for me to finish well? What does it look like for me to eagerly look forward to the return of Jesus? It's not hearing about who Jesus is and what he wants me to do. It's not thinking about what Jesus is calling me to do. It's not me telling myself, that sounds like a really great plan. I should do what Jesus wants me to do. What Jesus says is that God will bless you once you know them for doing them. See, this is how we eagerly await the return of Christ. We don't think about it, or we don't only think about it. We don't only read about it. We don't only feel like we ought to do something, but we do something. We hear what Jesus calls us to do. We hear what the gospel demands of us, and then we do it. This is what it looks like for us to eagerly await the return of Christ. To be doing, to be acting, not to earn our salvation, but because of our salvation. I think there are lots of things that people run for in their lives. I think people run for attention. And I'm not talking about physical running. I'm talking about the way that we live our lives. The race of life that each and every one of us are in on. I think we run for acclaim. We run for attention. We run for material goods. We live our lives for status. But there's only one thing that's worth running for, and that's the crown of righteousness that God gives us at the end. That's the only thing that's going to have any value and later this year, when we read through 1 Corinthians chapter 4, what Paul is going to talk about is there are people who, who fit Christ is the foundation in their lives. And what they're going to do is they're going to, they're going to build their life with all of these other things. They're going to build their, build their life on things that aren't going to last. And what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4 is when Jesus returns, this is the Mulholland paraphrase, Jesus is coming with, there's a huge flamethrower and it's going to burn up everything on that foundation of Jesus. And so many of the things that we find ourselves in pursuit of are empty and meaningless and purposeless. We have to run the race that matters. We have to finish well. As I go out and run, I have the same kind of routes. I know their distances, and more importantly, I know their halfway points. And one of the things that I have figured out, like when I'm looking at my watch and it's telling me when I'm going to be done, the interesting thing about that halfway point is every single step I take after that halfway point, no matter what direction it takes me, no matter what elevation change it takes me, every single step I take is on the way home. And every single one of us, whether you're at your halfway point in your life or not, here's what you need to know. Every single day that you live 
is one day closer to your home. One day closer to your eternal destination. You're just one step closer, one step closer. And I don't know how, how long that's going to take. I don't know how long that's going to last for you. But each and every one of us, we're getting closer. The finish line is looming to us. And what we need to do in these, in these last moments of this race, and I say moments because God's eternal, and we are just moments in, com- in comparison to God's eternity. What we need to do is we need to, we need to lift our heads up. We need to lower our shoulders. And we need to run. We need to finish this race strong. And not give in to the temptation to grow weary and to grow tired and to quit and give up. We need to pour all of ourselves out. As Paul says, we need to fight the good fight. We need to finish the race. The author of Hebrews says, we need to cast off everything that hinders us, especially especially our sin. We need to focus our gaze on Jesus Christ. We need to think about what he endured and we need to focus on that. We need to count the costs. We need to discipline our bodies. And when you finish, you'll be like Paul and you'll see that your race has not been run in vain. It has not been meaningless. In the 1968 Summer Olympics, there was a marathon runner named John Stephen Aquari. He's running his marathon and he cramps up due to the altitude of Mexico City. He hadn't trained at that altitude in his own country. About the halfway point, he falls over, dislocates his knee, hurts his shoulder. However, he continued running. He was 57th out of the 75 that started. He was among the 57 finishers out of the 75 that started, which ought to tell us something. Not everyone that starts finishes. That ought to bear some weight on our soul. That not everyone who starts the race finishes. The winner of this marathon finished in two hours and 20 minutes. And John Stephen finished in three hours, 25 minutes, and 27 seconds when there are only a few thousand people left in the stadium. A television crew was waiting for him as he, as he limped in. I watched part of the video this morning. As he limped into the stadium, his knee wrapped up. He's interviewed, and they ask him why he continued to run. And this is what he said. My country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. My country sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. Each and every one of us has been invited into this race of disciples, of being made into disciples and making disciples of other people. 
This is what we are called into. We are to pour all of ourselves out in the running of this race. And this concept of being poured out is is not limited to just us. There's a context for it. If you have your communion element, I would love for you to take it out. I'm going to read to you 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 26. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord took some bread and gave thanks for it. Thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. So as we take the bread, which represents Christ's body that's broken for us, that's what we want to remember That's why we do this. We are remembering that someone suffered and died for our sins. Take and eat. And then as we take the cup, we remember that Christ's blood was poured out for us. And that pouring out is what we are called to do. Drink. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful that what started with a series of statements, let there be, was finished by your son Jesus on the cross. Jesus has poured himself out for us and he simply asks us to pour ourselves out for others. He simply calls us to invest our lives in the discipleship of one another, in the discipleship of ourselves, and in the discipleship of those who don't know you. And I pray, God, that that would be the race that matters in each one of our lives. It's in your son's name we pray.